Hi, everyone, and here we are celebrating what people love to do creatively. I'm Rod Jones. And I'm Angie Jones. Welcome to the Thought Robe podcast. We invite you to subscribe wherever you listen, and we are available virtually anywhere you listen to podcasts. That's right, Angie. We know that people want to think more creatively and will definitely benefit from our weekly shows. What are we discussing today? Well, today we're going to be speaking with Deborah Cezernecki, and she is a plein air artist that has lots of adventures while creating and painting in the great outdoors. Oh, this is going to be a good one because you know what? She has literally built a career and a lifestyle out of painting outdoors. Lucky her. Yeah. I'm anxious. You know what? I'm anxious to hear what this week's quote is. (laughs) I think you all are going to really like it. And here it is. Live in the sunshine, swim in the sea, drink in the wild air. And I'm going to let you guess, Rod. Who do you think this is? It sounds like one of those guys like uh, Walt Whitman. One of those guys are really into nature. Mm-hmm. Close. Very close. Uh, I'll give you one more Thoreau? Uh, no, but that's a really good guess. It's Ralph Waldo Emerson. Oh, uh, the transcendentalist. Yes, absolutely. Well, those guys really uh, understood nature. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's really interesting to me. Every time I mention any of those writers, people look at me like, well, that's old school. Those guys are, you know, way back there. Really? Um, and, you know, they are. But if you're into nature, they're really worth reading. I think Walt Whitman has uh, some really great prose and actually some really great quotes about uh, nature and being out in nature. It's worth reading those. If you've never read anything by uh, Emerson or uh, Whitman, Whitman thank you, or Thoreau, mm-hmm. uh, it's worth doing. You know, I when you said that, I was like kind of shocked because maybe we should start a book reading group, what do you call that, a book club, and say, okay, this week's reading or this two weeks reading is going to be Ralph Waldo Emerson, and let's all read about it and chat somewhere. I think that would be kind of cool. It would be. But we'll have to explore that. So right now, one of the most famous art movements of all times, uh, they were called the Impressionists, and they pretty much painted outdoors. Yeah, except... For when they had fruit on the table that was fresh, then they painted indoors. <laughs> I bet I know who you're referring to. Yes. It must be Suzanne. Uh, yes, absolutely, because that's the first picture that came to my mind. Yeah, what's interesting about him painting the fruit, it would rot. <laughs> he would leave there for such a long time. It would just literally shrink and rot up. The other thing that I thought was very interesting when he painted uh, fruit in, indoors was that he would literally paint around it. It wasn't like he would just paint the front of a peach. He would paint both sides of it. So when you looked at a painting or bowl of fruit that he painted, it has a lot of dimension to it. The the paint and colors just literally wrap around the piece of fruit. Pretty amazing. So true. And you know that he took 2D painting and made it somewhat 3D painting, which is kind of a, a revolutionary thing at the time. Yeah. Well, some artists that have historically painted outdoors have become very well known for their subject matter like sunflowers or gardens. Must be referring to good old Vincent Van Gogh and Monet. I am. I am. Because that really, that another picture in my mind when we're talking about this is Vincent Van Gogh and the sunflowers and Monet and his beautiful gardens that he planted and produced himself. Well, he liked to paint outdoors so much Mm -hmm. that he built a garden so he wouldn't have to walk very far. He could just go out in his gardens and paint, especially the uh, lily ponds, which are some of his most famous paintings, or one of the most famous paintings, I should say. Mm -hmm, Definitely. I think that's really brilliant that he did that. But I know when he was doing it back in the day and he was just, he had moved to Giverny and was establishing his gardens. I know that the whole town kind of hated his guts because they thought he was silly for planting all of these frivolous flowers when he should be planting crops. He was using their precious water to water his silly flowers. And they just thought he was kind of a, a silly dude. Yeah, but now all the residents of that town absolutely worship the ground he walks on because 
Well, maybe they do. Millions of tourists. Well, now they do. Yeah, yeah millions. Sure. Well, maybe they hate the tourists. Millions of tourists visit those gardens every year. And a lot of plein air groups go there and paint. So yeah. it is obviously an exciting thing to say, oh, I painted in Monet's gardens. Oh, yeah. And I'm I suppose sure. you could walk out in a, a field somewhere and paint sunflowers and you could say, oh, I painted sunflowers the same as Vincent Van Gogh. You could, but it would be very, very hot because where he painted was very hot in the summer. But I guess there's a lot of challenges when it comes to painting outside. Yeah, you have to have the right gear. You have to have the right attire and it's seasonal too. You can paint in the middle of the winter or you can paint in the middle of the summer and you have to have the right... uh, clothing for those conditions. You do in the, the right, I don't, I don't want to say equipment because it's not really equipment per se, but you do need a few things, I think, to get yourself rolling. You have to paint indoors uh, or outdoors. I personally prefer outside, but when you paint on larger format, you almost have to paint in the studio. Well, yeah, because when we have done painting outside, uh, some planning, and we wanted to try and see if we could do a big canvas or a bigger, not huge, but a larger canvas. If there's any hint of a breeze and you've got it on that plein air easel, it will just take off like a sail. So it's not the best idea to paint on a large format. Yeah, large format. You have to uh, tie it to rocks <laughs> so it holds so it holds your easel down, um, and it can be very frustrating. Uh huh. Well, I, I also think about the minstrel winds in Arles, like when Vincent van Gogh was out painting. I just don't know how he dealt with the winds like that because his canvases are small, but they're not like yeah, they're dinky. they're actually bigger than what most people paint with. Yeah. And I think that when he was out painting, it would make him very irritable when the winds would come up. I'm sure. In fact, they often say about that town, what are those winds called? The minstrel winds. Yeah, the people that live in that town, they say that those winds will actually drive you crazy. Right. And then I know when he was out painting with Gauguin, right. I guess they would get into some heated discussions and Gauguin hated the wind. Right. Understandably so. Uh, Anybody has ever tried to paint on the wind, it's blowing in your ears, it's blowing everything around, it's blowing your hat off. Right. It's just right. doing a lot of irritable, irritating things that I find could be And I think that's what caused a little, a lot, not a little bit of their conflict when they were living in the yellow house and the winds kept continuing and making them more and more irritated. I think that that contributed to their... Um, arguing and uh, having a little bit of discontent in the household. And I think that was not good for Vincent. No doubt, because even the village doesn't like going through that period of uh, menstrual winds. No, they don't. But I really liked it when you, our daughter and I, we went to the desert to paint and we went out and fixed a firing. I think you did the firing and I had the coffee pot and the delicious snacks and cookies, and we painted all day. And you, I think you made a little shade area so it wouldn't be quite so hot because it was a little warm that day. But it felt like a British expedition. It was so cool. It was fun. We had everything but the tablecloth and the writing desk. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> and and the officer, I guess, somewhere in there. <laughs> well, I thought I thought that was a, a really fun day, and it felt so good to be out in nature. And that happened to be a part of the desert that had lots and lots of different types of cactus mm-hmm. and interesting rock formations. You could not you could not pick a better location. That was so much fun that day. It was a lot of fun. We have to do it again. You know, traditionally, you think of outdoor painters as being representational artists. Yeah. But it's possible, I think it's possible, to paint abstracts uh, when you're out of the studio. If it works for you, nature can inspire a gazillion patterns to to create art from. Right. I agree with you 100%. And when we went on that our little expedition, I remember we painted not it was very abstract of course because we don't paint representationally, but for me, I painted very abstractly and I, at the time, I just thought it was kind of a frivolous, fun thing and threw it in the back of all of our other paintings and didn't think about it. But not too long ago, we were looking through 
some of our old stuff. And it was kind of like a fun thing to look at. And it was actually better than I thought. Well, I know when I found mine, they weren't real. They were small paintings, of mm -hmm. course, we were painting outside. Right. There was no real wind. It was a little breezy, but the breeze was refreshing because it was cool. Yeah. I painted, ab I mean, they were abstract. There's no getting around that. But I did use uh, like an Ocotillo mm -hmm. plant. I used some rocks and maybe some small, uh, what are they called, Chihuahua? Chola. Chola. Chola, Chola cactus. cactus. Uh, real spiny little devils. And I did paint those into an abstract painting. Mm -hmm. And I've looked at them periodically over the years, because that was a long time ago. And I thought, well, what were you thinking? But then I remembered how much it reminded me of mm -hmm. what we were doing and the fact that we were out there as a family and how much I enjoyed that. So if nothing else, those paintings may not be hangable in a museum somewhere, mm -hmm. but they certainly hang well in my mind and give me many pleasant reflections of that day. Yeah. And then you know what? I remember that our daughter was also painting and it was really nice to have, um, she was younger then. It was nice to see her experimenting and being creative just with no, you know, there was a, it was not an assignment. It was not anything that was, had any pressure so she could paint whatever she wanted to. And it was, it, it was really lovely. It was really lovely. But, you know, not every artist has a studio, so maybe they just don't have the space. And I suspect there are quite a few out there that really don't want one and just would rather be outside. Being outside has its uh, benefits. I yeah. mean, you get a different impression. When you're in the studio, you're looking at a blank canvas and you're not being maybe inspired as much as you can mm -hmm. uh, when you're outside. I, yeah, I couldn't agree more. And what's exciting and interesting to me are there are lots of plein air groups that people can join. Some even focus on travel and painting all over the world. So it becomes a travel experience as well as getting acquainted with new people. You know, I remember when we were driving um, in Arizona and we were at an overpass or looking down on Canyon de Chez. Uh huh. And there was a whole bunch of people down there. And I, at first, I was going, God, what are they all doing now? There must have been 30 or 40 people. That's a large Then group. all of a sudden, I realized they were setting up their paint boxes mm -hmm. and they were painting the ruins. It's pretty, pretty uh, interesting to see that many people down in that canyon. Mm -hmm. that, was a, that was a big group. They must have been having a great time. You know, that must have been really cool because they're probably painting, what are they called, the Pueblos that were ruins by now. But that's such an extensive area where there's so many of them. And it was, uh, and the light there is really golden and beautiful. And I could see taking a plein air group out there. It's a very, uh, and it also has a really cool energy out there too. Very clean. Oh, the energy, yeah. Very clean, like the light. I think they, they, that was a bit of a walk. I mean, they had to walk up into that canyon. I'm sure they all brought uh, lunches, whatever, so they could sit around, chat, paint, look at each other's painting, go, oh, I like what you did or whatever. Yeah. It must have been very inspirational. But for me, that's a lot of people to have circulated up in one area. Right. Well, you know, I guess some people feel comfortable, you know, being around other people. They're not as good just kind of going on their own and having an adventure. So I think you have to kind of match your personality type with what, what feels comfortable to True. you. True, and if you're going out in the wild like that, it isn't such a bad idea to have at least a painting buddy because you just don't know what's going to happen. True. Uh, I mean, you could get lost, right? You could get lost or, or hurt. I mean, you can fall yeah, down and twist any, your ankle or sure. whatever. So, so yeah. going out all by yourself is fun, but... Sometimes it may be more practical to at least have a painting buddy with you. Take a painting buddy. Yeah. Outdoor painting gear. Uh, there is equipment specifically designed to make the artist's life easier when painting on location, like the Pouchard painting box. Did I pronounce that right? You did it. You did it. Wow, as far as it. I know, anyway. <laughs> well, I have kind of an interesting story about painting boxes. I, unfortunately, I don't remember the guy's name, and I read about him several years ago. But there was a ranch foreman, and they used to go out and herd their cattle. Mm -hmm. And he loved to paint, but he also felt embarrassed that the other cowboys were going to give him a hard time. So he created this little teeny box, 
and it had his paints in it, and he would put it in the saddlebags on his horse, and then he would tell everybody what they should be doing, and then he would ride off for a while. Mm -hmm. He'd pull that little box out. He was still on his horse sitting in a saddle, and he would paint these little tiny paintings, and they became very popular, actually, but probably what became even more popular is people really started to buying those little paint boxes. Oh, okay. That's so cool. You know, I saw something really neat on, I think it was Instagram, and um, it was a, a painter who was doing, well, she wanted to take her paints wherever she wanted to, to go. So she came up with a little system of using an empty Altoid box and putting little dabs of her paints in there. And that way she could do a little teeny dinky painting, you know, the mini size that you see of the canvas as she would tuck it into her uh, tote, tote bag. Oh, nice. And then just whenever the inspiration hit her would do it. I'm not sure how she handled the wet paint portion of it. I don't She might have carried it in her hand at Well, she was point. doing watercolors. She would just add a little water and they dry right back up. So I, maybe I that's what she was I doing. I think that they were perhaps oil. Really? They were just little dabs of oil. But I thought it was a brilliant idea because, you know, you can paint outdoors with oils, pastels, watercolors, acrylics, just about anything to express and capture your creativity. But she kind of took it to a really cool mini DIY thing to do. That is pretty amazing with that Altoid box. Yeah. I suppose any little thing that you could come up with, even Tupperware might work. Maybe, yeah. Um, outdoor painting is for everyone. You don't have to have all the equipment to make it work uh, because you're painting small pictures. You have more time, I think, to really enjoy the environment. You do, and it's a great way to experience nature from the mountains to the sea, although some people paint cityscapes. So, you know, if you're a city person, then that's good for you. And I've also noticed that for some people, it gives them a purpose to explore new places that you might not normally be comfortable exploring. Because sometimes some people might feel uncomfortable in new situations or new environments. So it gives you a purpose of being there and takes the awkwardness and discomfort out of being somewhere new. Well, as people, as a lot of people know me, quite a bit for my photography. Right. I was a commercial photographer for many years, and now I take what I call happy snaps here and there. But I remember when we were in Paris, and I painted the Arch de Triomphe. Arch de Triomphe, yeah. Yeah, I said that right? Yeah. I actually did an illustration, and I know I took a picture or two, but when I did that illustration, it really sunk into me. I mean, I really felt the whole presence. And then later when I pull that up, uh, a year later, two years later, whatever, when I pull that painting or that sketch out, I look at it and it just totally reimmerses me in that environment. I've never really felt that way when I took a photograph. You take a photograph, you do the composition, you make sure the lighting's right, whatever. Mm -hmm. You pop off the sunset and go, oh, well, that was nice. But when you have to really sit there and mm -hmm. draw something or paint something, yeah. you become very connected with it because you're studying it so closely. You know, that's so true. And when I look at that drawing that you did in your sketchbook, it, it does have a life of its own. Like there is a connectivity to it when you are looking at it. And I, I don't know, some photographs I feel that way about, but not, not consistently. I don't know that I get that energy of, oh my God, there's, there's very few that, that you feel that connectivity with. Well, if you're drawing and you're painting, it's very tactile. It on is. a camera, you're just clicking the shutter. Mm -hmm. And then maybe you're doing some processing on a Photoshop or something when you get back. Um, and I used to shoot film, so you were doing a lot of processing. Mm -hmm. But there, there's just nothing like doing a drawing uh, or painting something that you see because I guarantee you it will be embedded in your memory forever. Truth on that one. Well, today we're going to have Deborah Cezernecki with us. She is a plein air artist and has some beautiful artworks that I know you guys are going to enjoy looking at um, in our show notes. But the focus will be on her unbelievable adventures she has while plein air painting. Just listening to a few of her stories when we chatted with her on the phone was uh, it was really fun. It was really fun to hear her adventures in nature. Plus, she's very, very talented. Deborah, welcome to the Thought Row podcast. 
Angie and I have been really looking forward to chatting with you. Yes. Hi, Deborah. So good to have you with us today. Hello, and thank you for inviting me. Oh, it's so good to have you. Mm. We know you're a very creative and talented artist, and we're very excited to talk to you about your career as a plein air painter. But before we begin, we like to start our show by asking what you had for breakfast. That's because we're bored and we never know what to eat. So <laughs> we always ask everybody. Meal plans. <laughs> <laughs> okay, I I like starting my day out with dessert. So this morning I had apple pie and a banana. Oh, I like that. I like that a lot. So good. <laughs> well, you've got all well, your fruits. You got your fruits. Right. Mm-hmm. So you're in good yeah. shape. And energy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, I guess I guess there's probably one thing really important to discuss right off the bat because a lot of our listeners probably don't know exactly what plan air means. Could you describe that for us? Okay, well, it's a French term, and it basically means fresh air. But in my world, as a plein air painter, it means painting outdoors, on location, and basically painting the painting in one session. Mm, Okay. you know, from start to finish. And most of us will go back to the studio and do a little tweaking, but the majority of that painting, like I would say over 90% of that painting, is done right on site. Mm, You know, actually, I didn't know that. I didn't know you knew that. I never really thought about that. I never thought about that in one session. Yeah. But it makes sense. Yeah, if you go to the major plein air competitions and things like that, you, you get your... Your painting surface stamped, you go out for, there's a time limit on it, and then you bring it back, and then it goes on, and it's, you know, maybe it's judged or just put up for display, mm-hmm. and that's it. Wow, okay. <laughs> oh, okay. So, so no so, pressure. <laughs> yeah, I could imagine. That leads us to the next question is, why did you decide to become a plein air artist? I guess it's my, well, I came from a f- family of artists, and and I was always, you know, the arts are, I find great, but I guess it's my love of the outdoors. I really enjoy going camping and hiking and kayaking and just being surrounded with all that beauty is so inspirational. So I think that's what led me to go outside with the paintbrush. I could see that. Yeah. I mean, it's just yeah. so beautiful. And were there other artists in your family that encouraged you to paint? Well, my mom side of the family there's lots of artists even today we have installation artists and oh. musicians and singers and in my mom's time there was a couple of actors with dark secrets and oh. <laughs> an opera singer and growing up we were um actually quite surrounded in art not only did we do gymnastics but we had to all learn a musical instrument in the family and we also went to theater school Mm -hmm. and the only thing I didn't do was dance and it was one of the things I wanted to do but not enough time in the day (laughs) I guess not it sounds like you guys were really busy learning a lot of creativity and just being able to express yourself so that's really a cool it's wonderful that everybody in your family was creative so when you guys sat around the dinner table you had a lot to chat about oh yeah we did and it was really great because we listened to a lot of music a lot of classical music at one point before we became teenagers and then we just wanted Led Zeppelin and beyond. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that sounds about right. So, yeah. you know, some of the most recognized artists uh, were plein air artists. Do, do you have a favorite? Well, being in Canada and we're, and living across Canada, I guess um, in the east part of, eastern part of Canada, there's the group of seven and they were sort of turn of the century. So they were amazing painters. So I love to follow them and I've seen their work. Mm-hmm. And now that I'm on the West Coast, it's I'm kind of influenced by Emily Carr, especially. She just lived down the road from where I am. Oh, nice. <laughs> oh, that's nice. Yes. So I just found these um, Canadian painters. They, they were out there and they painted Canada as it is rugged 
and uh-huh. wild. Yeah. They captured it. So those are my favorites. Oh, nice. You know, yeah. um, your home base is Victoria, British Columbia. Uh, mm-hmm. And you have a name for your studio, the Spinning Dog <laughs> Studio, which both I think that's yes. a very cool name. How did you come up with the Spinning Dog Studio? Okay, this is a really goofy story. <laughs> we had this uh, four-pound Yorkie with a very bad attitude. And the little tyke, he would bite everybody. But he didn't have any teeth, so we were kind of safe that way. (laughs) And then, unfortunately, he broke his neck, and he was Mm. in a body cast for several weeks. And I'll tell you, a little Yorkie in a body cast, taking care of that little guy was was challenging. Oh, my gosh. I know. And, you know, after he came out of the body cast, he... I don't think he he was he got he was a little strange and then he had a habit of spinning in a circle when he got really excited. Oh. And at times we could see he would spin so hard he'd almost fall over. Oh, and gee. Uh, oh, I know he was a what a doll. He was a yeah, he was a cutie. He was a character but you know, he did live a good full life. I mean, he lasted till he was about 15 years old. Oh, that is, wow. That's long. That is a long life. Yeah. Anyway, yeah. You, a great name for a, a art studio. It is, it is. <laughs> Thanks. And then it looks mm. like as a plein air artist, you are a Four Seasons artist, which must be kind of challenging in Canada, especially. What are the three things that you consider most before you head out to paint? Uh, well, number one, being typical Canadian, What's the weather like? How Mm -hmm. am I going to (laughs) dress? It's dressing for the weather. Right. So I have to say the coldest temperature I ever painted outside was minus 30 Celsius. So that's really, really, really cold. That's very Um, cold. Yeah, there's ice on on the lake. And so in that case, I would dress in a snowmobile suit to go painting. Oh, good idea. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And then again, the hottest temperature is, you know, if you're looking at plus 35 Celsius and then there's the humidex, which is plus 40, Mm -hmm. then you dress very, very lightly. (laughs) And so dressing is important. And I guess the next thing is... What would be the next big challenge you would face? Yeah, painting out in the wild. Yeah. What equipment to bring? Because if I'm hiking in, and sometimes I take my bicycle, I have to think about the equipment. So I want to travel light. So Mm -hmm. I have about, oh my gosh, I have about several different sets of painting gear to go. I'm Then if I'm in the car, honestly, I pack everything except for the kitchen sink because I (laughs) can't. And then also, if I get on an airplane to go somewhere for a couple of weeks of paint, then I have to think differently because planes have regulations. Right. And each airline sort of has a different set of regulations. So I have to think, you know, okay, will this airline let me bring oil paints? Some don't. It seems to be okay with acrylic paint, but oil paints, some are skeptical. And then I also find, too, I have a... A metal easel that I sometimes travel with, and I'll tell you, I'm it's guaranteed that um, they're going to check my luggage, and I get that nice little tag in there. We've checked your luggage, oh, and no. I know it's <laughs> I know yeah. it's because of the box. Oh, and my. then the last thing I have to think about when I go out is the location and if I'm going to meet any wildlife. So oh. I kind of prepare for that. So. You know, that's pretty well the three big things I think about before I go oh, out. Perfect. Yeah. Those are all very valuable yeah, things to are. think They're about. Really good thoughts to have before and you go I'm out. I'm sure my listeners may pick up a few of those ideas. <laughs> okay. Well, it looks like you lean towards smaller format paintings, which are beautiful representation of the environments that you paint. Does the size of the panels, are they sort of restricting sometime or are you good with the size that you paint on? You know, it it depends on my mood. <laughs> yeah, I can see that. Um, yeah, okay. Sometimes if it's, and again, the weather and where I'm standing and everything, it's about the, 
like to me, a plein air painting should be done between 45 to 90 minutes. If you go longer than that, the lights changed. Okay. Oh, okay. So when I look out, I kind of assess quickly in my mind and I say, okay, I've got this much time. I've got that much subject matter out there. Mm-hmm. Can I get it down on that panel? So again, I find that I can go anywhere from a six by eight to a 16 by 20 inch panel to uh-huh. paint on. And so that's kind of, it's, it's, it depends on the mood. It depends on the subject matter. And for me personally, to go above 16 by 20 mm, doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, I can, imagine. I can see that. You, you know, on your blog, you write about your musings, your experiences, and your thoughts as you go through life as an artist. Well, do you get comments? What do pe- how do people comment on that? Well, you know, it's um, people, they ask a lot of interesting questions. When I go on location, to me, it's like, it's like an adventure all the time. Mm-hmm. And I guess when I'm out there, I learn a lot about my, I learn something new all the time. And again, it's the people that I meet that influence my blog uh, by Mm -hmm. what they say or what they show me. For example, I was up in Yellowknife in the Northwest Territories and I was painting near this lake and these two gentlemen came along and they sat down and were watching me paint and they were from the area and they they chit-chatted as you know as they watched me paint and they, and the beauty was they told me wonderful stories about growing up in the north and my favorite mm. out of that was how to cook beaver on an engine block of a car uh-huh. oh. <laughs> <laughs> oh wow but it's um and then again it's so you know, being out in nature like that, you just, there's so much going on that you're aware of, but you're not aware of. For example, the other day I was at the beach and the waves were big and and it was, it's like music. I call it beach music. <laughs> oh, yes. Agree on yeah. that. You know, I, you're mentioning all the different places you've traveled in the in the world to paint, what place did you find to be the most challenging when you went to plein air? Um, in one way, I'd like to say Italy because of the mass. There's it's a high density population there. Yeah, but but then I think the far north, um, going up towards the Arctic. I guess I was blown away because I had gone in the fall mm-hmm. and I'm expecting the Arctic to be a lot cold and cold colors. Well, it was pastel colors. Oh. It was pinks, fuchsia pinks, uh lime greens, and that's from the lichen on the ground. Sure. So that was challenging for me because I wasn't expecting that and I had to kind of switch my my way of looking mm-hmm. at the color up there. So it was challenging. And also the tundra, just seeing that vastness out there, thinking, how do I put that down on the canvas yeah. and make it interesting? Yeah, to capture it, that would be a chore. Yeah, it was. But it's a, it's a hidden gem up there. And then the northern lights, oh my goodness. Yeah, How do you capture northern lights? You can't even photograph <laughs> yeah, them. Yeah, that's so difficult. It's very difficult. Right. And again, on that note, the northern lights, they sing also. I've never heard northern lights sing before. They crinkle. It's like tinkling of broken glass. Oh. Really? Yeah. Yeah. I was, didn't know they had a sound. That's so interesting to hear. Neither did I, but it was oh, wow. incredible. We, magic, yeah. we magically always seem to miss them every time we go. To the- yeah, we go somewhere. It's like, no, no nor- northern lights today. <laughs> oh, so, that's too bad. Someday. <laughs> yeah. So, Deborah, out of all the places that you've painted, do you have one that you felt you did some of your best creative work? Um, <laughs> believe it or not, well, <laughs> Quebec. 
Quebec is an incredible province here in Canada. And it's, again, going to the fall because the colors there are incredible. We're talking, I guess it's similar to Vermont, just hills of pure oranges and reds and yellows and no green. It's just these colors out there. And it's just, okay, I've got all this color. How do I work with it? And it, well, it, it happens, but it's, the beauty is so awesome in seeing colors orchestrated like that on the hills. Oh, I can imagine. Wow. Well, when you, when you go on your painting expeditions, do you <laughs> paint alone or do you have a painting buddy? Um, well, it depends. Um, it's about the safety. So I prefer to have somebody come along. Yes. And also there, that also, that person that comes along, the other artists, I'm kind of fussy because it works when you paint at the same speed. Yeah. So if I go with somebody and they want to take three hours to do that painting, that doesn't, it doesn't work well for me. So I'm always kind of scanning around and trying to paint with other artists that, okay, we're out of here in 90 minutes and we go on to the next spot because everything in my, for me has changed. And then I hang around with about, uh, about a couple of other groups and we just meet on a Monday or during the week and there might be seven of us out there painting and there's another group I paint with and there's about 30 of us. Not that we all show up, but mm-hmm. you know, it's, we, we get together and it's fun. Laura, I was <laughs> going to actually ask you about painting in large groups, but you kind of covered that a little bit. The We've seen some really large groups of plein air artists. It seems to me that just being with that many people would be a challenge unto itself. Is that true? Mm, I don't think so. Not for me. I have, I think most of us have a tendency to ignore each other. Okay. Yeah. And uh, we just, we, we all have our nice little chit chat when we meet. Hey, how are you? And Oh, what are you looking at? Or where are you going to go? Are you going around the corner or, or are you looking over there? And then what's really interesting is I might be painting the same scene as somebody else, but when we look at the paintings in the end, there's two different what I call focal points. Mm-hmm. And I might have zoomed in on the sky, and the other artist might have zoomed in on the water mm-hmm. or mm-hmm. or the you know the hills or something. And I always find it great fun is when one group, we line up all the paintings and we all know we're in the same area and we've kind of covered that building or the hills, but every painting is unique. Oh, I bet. I bet. Yeah, coming from different perspectives. Yeah. Now, have you ever instructed or taught other artists about planaring? Yes, um, I do teach painting and drawing on location, and I have to say that planar is what I call an acquired taste. Mm-hmm. It's um, like drinking single malt the first time. <laughs> you kind of go like, "Oh, mm-hmm. what is this?" <laughs> and then you kind of, "Oh." this isn't so bad. And then you get it. Oh, well, I like that. It's, you know, more fruity and this and that. And that's what I find with plein air. The first time I take out students, they don't want to go out anymore. This is too much work. But then something pulls them back. Oh, yeah, it is beautiful. Okay. But also, I you need good equipment too when you go out there. So that's the first thing I always try to tell my students. Let's get you set up properly because if you're not comfortable, sure, you're you're not going to stick around. True, and and that includes sometimes if there's lots of mosquitoes, putting lots of mosquito spray on you. Oh, no, I'm sure that's so they true. also they yeah. have a tendency to stick in your paint. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. Most of my paintings come with dirt and bugs. (laughs) (laughs) 
Oh. Well, Deborah, how many times a week do you actually go out and paint? Okay, it depends where I am. If I'm on a painting trip, I'm out every day. That's I'm there, right? And I start in the morning, and then when the light goes by noon, because it's flat, mm-hmm. and then I go late afternoon, early evening to get the evening light. Around home, since I'm home, like most people, mm-hmm. yeah. I'm out about a minimum of three times a week. And if the weather is cooperating, then I'm out five times a week. That's really nice. Yeah. It gets you out and you're able to enjoy nature as well as, you know, practice your planaring. Mm -hmm. Uh, You know what? Why don't you tell us about your painting studio? Okay. Well, my studio, we're talking my indoor studio or my car studio? (laughs) Both. Uh, Both, yeah. Okay. Um, I'm very fortunate. I have a nice large studio and also a gallery attached to my studio. Um, I have lots of storage space because of all my plein air paint boxes. Mm -hmm. I have a wall easel, which I prefer than the floor model because... It just takes less real estate out. And again, I have the sink and everything. And I even, for my car, I just have a big bin that sits in the back of my car that's ready to go. And it has my panels and paint and everything. And again, I kind of, I have to watch the temperature. Mm -hmm. If it's too cold, I bring my paints in. Oh, yeah. So, yeah. And then for my bicycle, I have this really sweet little kit I put together that just holds the three basic colors, three paintbrushes, plus what else does it got? Black and nope, I don't use black, uh, white. And it's ready to go. Wow. It sounds so streamlined when you talk about your bike bike kit. It's so uh, efficient. Angie, ask her about the animals and critters. Oh, yeah. (laughs) I wanted to know, because I know when we were talking prior to your interview, you had some Mm -hmm. stories about your uh, encounters with critters and animals. So tell us about that. (laughs) Okay. Well, all right. One of my scariest encounters... We were a group of us where we were painting up in a place called Georgian Bay, and it was summer. And this sits on uh, Huron Lake, pardon me. And it was hot, hot, hot summer day. Mm -hmm. And we're all out there painting. The the rock formation out in Georgian Bay is unbelievable. And we're painting away, and we're by the shoreline, the water, and looked under the easel, and there was the biggest rattlesnake I've ever seen in my life. Oh, no. It was about three feet long and oh. two inches in diameter. So talk about moving really quick to get out of there. But what this poor rattlesnake was looking for was looking for shade. Oh. And, oh, yeah. and you got to think, too, with the, um, the easel set up, I also have a big umbrella. Oh, you have so, shade. <laughs> yes, I have shade. So, of course, um, it was a bit of an ex- ex- excitement happening, mm-hmm. and finally it disappeared. And then we found out in that area it was an endangered species. So oh. now we had to report it and to the local wildlife authorities, and then they went looking for it because, I don't know, if they tag snakes or not, but they wanted to go see it. And about four weeks ago, I was walking through the forest here, Mm -hmm. and I spotted a cougar, so that got my blood going. Um, Exciting. (laughs) Yeah. Very exciting. Yeah, and it was about 75 feet away, but that was enough for me to keep walking. Oh, yes, those guys are fast. Do you ever run into caribou? Yes, I was just thinking about that. I was up north in Nunavut, and it was the fall, and it's the migration of the caribou are happening. 
And this is really, really quite interesting because they run single file. So I was painting away and I could hear the thundering of hooves coming my way. And I thought, oh, caribou. Okay. Now the trees in the north are really, really quite small. And I'm kind of looking around thinking, where am I going to hide out here? And I kind of pushed myself into these three scraggly trees because I'm, you know, in my mind, I was quite sure the caribou are not going to go through the trees because there are not that many of them. So they went thundering by me. And that was quite interesting to to watch. And actually, I, of course, like I had my camera out and I was I took pictures of them as they ran by and all of a sudden three of them stop turn around and look at me and mm. what a shot <laughs> so I thought, oh my god these three up close huh up close what yeah. about what about domestic animals um oh well not too much um no dogs ever ever gave you a problem oh, Oh, well, yeah, they, they like to sniff my equipment when it's on the ground and sometimes leave a little mark on it. <laughs> <laughs> that way they could they go, it's mine. It's mine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But just on that note, I must mention um, Arctic wolves. When we were up north, we had gone further in the tundra by helicopter. And up north, the navigational aids don't always work so we were going further north in this helicopter and the air is so clear up there the pilot said to me he says how far do you think that that destination what you see out there he says how far do you think you can see and I said I think that's about 10 kilometers because I also have a pilot's license a VFR Mm. and and he says no that's 60 I thought, wow. Wow. But then what we did is we sat, we sat down on the tundra and we got out and we were looking around and thinking about sketching. And I started seeing all these caribou bones. And all of a sudden, we can hear the howling of the wolves. We had landed in a den area. Of the wolves. Oh my goodness. And I actually got some photographs of those wolves also, and they were already white. So that was interesting. But it was uh, when we took off, I was kind of glad to leave the howling wolves behind. <laughs> wow. I That's can just imagine. what an experience to see the wolves and, and all that wildness there with them. It, like, I, I just can't imagine and the fact that it's so clear out there and you think you're oh. only seeing x amount but really it's quadruple what you're really yeah. seeing oh yes yeah. the air is the air is like tasting champagne mm. a good bottle of champagne wow oh, i've never i never understood you know i'm we're very you know we're very spoiled we have good air right but up there i get it oh so delicious. This one, we would like you to give us a short, quick answer. Uh, where do you see yourself okay. in five years? Uh, I, uh, another 500 paintings. There's no such thing as a short answer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, another 500 paintings done and a few more countries under my belt where I've painted in. <laughs> okay, cool. And then what yeah. would you want to be most remembered by? Um, as a a master painter of plein air. Nice. I think you've achieved that. I think you're already there. Yeah. (laughs) Thank you. (laughs) And okay, if you could sit on a park bench and chat with anyone from the past, who would you like that to be? Oh, that's an emotional one. Yeah, it is. Yeah, it is. My mom. Just to say thank you to her. And how she encouraged us to get on with it. Basically, she pushed us out the door and she says, come on, let's go. And one of the wisest things I think she ever told me when she was about 85, she had a computer. And I didn't quite 
I hadn't invested in that computer yet. And she basically said, get on with it. Get the computer. Life's not going to wait for you. <laughs> oh, good for her. Yeah. She sounds like yeah. a real like a trendsetter and someone who just and takes the, life by a, the tail. Yeah, and a, for a creative person, the perfect mom. Yeah, the perfect yeah. mom. Yeah, yeah, she was great. You know, Deborah, you've really shared some really interesting stories with us. It was pretty interesting, a lot of things that you had to say. Um, this is great. Yes, well, and we really appreciate you taking the time for this interview with Rod and I today. Well, thank you so much for having me. <laughs> You're very welcome. And I just uh-huh. want to uh, let everyone know out there, if you want to know more about Deborah Zernacki and her artwork, we will have links in the show notes and also under the show guest tab on thoughtrowpodcast.com so everyone can visit Deborah's website and learn more about her and connect with her on social media. Thank you, Deborah. Thank you for being with us today, We really today, appreciate Deborah. it. Thank you very much. You're very informative. Thank you. Okay. okay. Thank you. Bye-bye. Bye. I'm really glad you tuned in today. We hope you enjoyed the thoughts and ideas we shared with you. We post a new podcast every week, so remember to subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts so you don't miss an episode. So it's bye for now from my husband Rod and I, wishing everyone a great day. 